Okay, I think we're ready to start. Uh, before we before we begin, let's 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 bow our heads for prayer. Our Father and our God in heaven, Lord, you know what our journey in this life is like. Your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, lived on this earth. He went through all the things that we go through. He went through a death, though, that was more more terrible than probably most of us will ever experience. And Heavenly Father, we know that your heart is tender towards us. We know, Father, that you love us. So, Lord, help us to understand a little bit more about thee this morning. Help us to understand thy purposes for our lives and how we can how we can live more like you want us to live. Help us, Father, to, to gain a little bit of understanding into your plans for our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you can see, the question up there, it's one that I think is, is very important for us to consider. Because a lot of us, we have expectations. We have expe- expectations for how our life should be. Whether it's our education, what that should be like, what our career should look like, relationships, uh, what the Christian life should be like. Or we all have our own ideas of what a good life is. Sometimes those things don't work out. Quite often they don't. Perhaps we might have a serious life-changing accident or a serious illness. Or perhaps we lose our job or we suffer some sort of financial reverses. Um, we could have family problems. Or perhaps one, one of the most difficult things is we lose a family member or someone that we love very much. So there's all kinds of things that we can sometimes encounter in life. I think most of us are familiar with the story of Naomi and Ruth. Naomi and her husband left the land of Judah because they, there was a famine in the land, so they went to the land of Moab. They were hoping for a better life. And I suppose for a while things went well. They had two sons, and then things began to go bad. Naomi's husband passed away. And both of her sons, in turn, passed away. So now she's left a widow in a foreign land. She has two daughters-in-law that are, that are Gentiles. They're Moabites. And she has no choice, really, but to go back to her homeland. And as we know, the one daughter-in-law stayed there, but the other one, Ruth, went with her. 
And so this is, this is how, Ruth, how Naomi came back to, to, to Judah. So, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And the word Naomi means pleasant. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Often, for, for many of us, our life will, can feel like that. I used to have a good life. Things were going really well. And now it seems that God has testified against me, that, that God has afflicted me. But you know, all of us that have read the book of Ruth, we know that this was not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. This is the low point, but it's not the end. So, good experiences and bad experiences. What's our definition? What is God's definition? We usually define a good experience as something that's pleasant, something that's enjoyable. We don't think of unpleasant experiences as being good. Those we call bad. But are they bad? God has a little different definition there. He defines situations as either being beneficial for us or harmful or detrimental. And that is, God's concern is how these things are for us spiritually. And he will use whatever physical means necessary to get us to a good place. And so... How do we react? Do we react to these things like a Christian, or do we react to them like the world? What does the world say? Why is this happening to me? Do we say that sometimes? I think we do. I do. Why me? How could God permit this to happen? We heard about that in in the sermon last night of how we like to tell God what our expectations are and how we like to tell God how we think he should be running things. We are dissatisfied with the things that God allows in our lives. It'll lead us to sin. You see up there the account of our first parents from Genesis chapter 3. I think you've all read it, how Satan came and he, he tempted our, our first parents. And if we think about what God is allowing in our lives, if we think about it in terms of those two questions there, why is this happening to me? How could God allow this? Basically what we're saying, you know, what's, what is uh, implied there is that these things should not be happening in my life. 
that God has somehow made a mistake or he's being unfair to us or he's not doing what we think he should be doing. And this, this is what, this is the same argument that Satan brought before our first parents. He put those thoughts into their head. Another place where something similar happened, the children of Israel on their way from, from Egypt to the promised land, we know that over and over again, they were dissatisfied with what God gave them. In this particular incident, there's a couple of things that they are unhappy about. They've been on the road a long time. They're probably hot and uncomfortable. They've been away from Egypt for a long time. The, and they've forgotten. They've forgotten what they endured in Egypt. And they don't see the big picture anymore. All they see is... This little picture, this is what's happening in my life right now. First of all, they couldn't, they couldn't go through the land of Edom. They had to go around. So that made their trip longer. And so it says, The people spake against God and against Moses, saying, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread. Neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. They were beginning to hate the manna. They were tired of it. They had it every day. They didn't think about, well, this is keeping me alive. They didn't remember the captivity in Egypt. They didn't see that God had liberated them, that he had done all these miracles. They didn't see any of that anymore. All they saw is that, you know, we're hungry we want water, and we're sick and tired of manna. We're sick and tired of what God has provided to keep us alive. And so it says, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Again, it led them to sin. The dissatisfaction led them to sin. So, I'm going to read a quote. This is from, uh, I guess, an early preacher. His name is C.H. McIntosh. And he wrote a series of sort of commentaries on various books of the Bible. Um, and he wrote, it's, this is from his book, Notes on Numbers. He says, The very first effort of the serpent when in the Garden of Eden he assailed the creature, was to shake his confidence in the kindness and love of God and thus produce discontent with the place in which God had set him. Man's fall was the result, the immediate result of his doubting the love of God. And you know, Satan uses that same tactic today. He causes us to doubt God's love. When we find ourselves in a difficult situation, a painful situation, we begin to doubt. It causes us some trouble. And for, for most people, that, that is the response. 
That is, and I think for most of us, that is our initial response. Hopefully, it's not our final response. But initially, this is what, what we might feel. And we see that this sort of response in the children of Israel, in our first parents, in both cases, it led to sin. So what is the expectation of God for us as a Christian response? To glory in tribulations? We have the quote there from from, uh, Romans chapter 5. And not only so, but we, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And is this easy for us? Probably not. It's not easy for me to think like that. It's very difficult for us to embrace tribulation or to embrace difficulties and sadness in our lives. It's not something that we enjoy. But there are several reasons why these things happen. One thing is that we are a fallen people living in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned, it disrupted the good relationships. It disrupted our relationship with God. It disrupted our relationship with his creation as well. So we have these things working against us. We have a body now that gets sick. We have a body that will die. Even though Satan tried to tell our first parents, you're not going to die, we're all going to die. Another couple of scriptures, Job, someone who knew all about suffering because he is, in in the scripture, he's basically an example of that. So a couple of quotes from Job, Job 5, verses 6 and 7. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. He said, man is born into trouble. He says, that's as natural as when you have a fire and the sparks fly upward from that fire. Job 14.1, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Now, Job suffered a lot more than I think most of us will suffer. However, suffering is a natural part of living in this world whether we suffer physically or emotionally or even spiritually. It's part of living in this world. So now we've seen the worldly response, the secular response. We've also seen what the Christian response should be. So the worldly response comes naturally to us. It's something, that's, that's our default, really. And to... to To get the Christian response, to get to that Christian response, that doesn't come naturally for us. And this is, oh, there's a couple other scriptures about suffering. James talks about it as well. I think these are verses that we've all we've all read: James one two to four, and James and gospel and Gospel of John, 
16.33, Jesus said this. He promised this already to his disciples. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's hope. There is hope. Even, even when things are going, going in a difficult direction for us. I was going to say going badly, but that's, that, I can't say that. All right, so moving toward a Christian response. How do we deal with the pain we are experiencing today? And this, this is something that we all try to deal with. For some of us, what we're dealing with is a temporary situation. For some of us, it's something that is not going to change. For some of us, perhaps it's something that we have been dealing with all our lives. Perhaps we're born with, with uh, uh, a congenital condition. Uh, Nick Vujicic comes to mind. Um, sometimes it's, it's the result of an accident. Uh, Joni Erickson, I think most of us know who she is. Age 17, she dove off a raft and hit a rock and broke her neck and was a paraplegic the rest of her life. She is still alive today. But she has been a paraplegic since she was 17. So some of these things, maybe one day we'll wake up in the thing and we'll be through it, but some of them, they will be with us till the end of our lives. So how do we get there? We have to learn to think like a Christian and not like the world. So what does that mean? We're going to try and figure that out, what that means. It means that we need to change our perspective. And it's there. We, might, we have to develop and maintain an eternal perspective. And this is something that we have to work on. This is something where we have to take to heart this scripture here that Colossians 3, 1 to 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. And you know, I've, I've heard that, those verses a lot. I've read them a lot of times. And, and it, for, for the longest time, that was nothing more than sort of an, an inspirational concept. You know, this is a good thing. This is something I really should be doing. And I thought I was doing that, but actually I wasn't. Because in, in, in a number of situations, I, when I look back now at, at them, I see that I was thinking a lot like the world. Perhaps we, we, we can think of someone that we, that we know or that we love that, that passed on earlier in life. Perhaps someone that um, was, you know, had plans for the future, they were going to retire at a certain age, and they passed away before they got to retirement. And we think, oh, how terrible, how sad that is. They didn't even make it to retirement. And, you know, if that person is a believer, think about it. Does that actually make sense to say that? 
well, they died too early. They didn't make it to retirement. Where are they now? Isn't that a lot better than retirement? But see, this, that, this is the difference between the way the world thinks and the way the Christian needs to think. That it's not about a good life in this world. We need to develop an eternal perspective. We need to look to eternity. And really, the, the, the focus and the main point of our life needs to be in eternity. When we, when we, when we consider, when we, when we view things that happen in our lives, we have to look at them against the background of eternity. Okay, so what happens what happens now, what happens today, what happens tomorrow, what is that going to mean in terms of eternity? When we lose someone, when someone passes away, someone that we love very much, we miss them. There's no doubt about that. The parting is not easy. But if we look at it from an eternal perspective, we know that they have gone to a far, far better place. They have, they have no longer suffer the illness that they, they've had. Both of my parents have passed away. Both of them went through some really tough times at the end of their lives. My mom especially went through a lot of pain. Would I want to keep her here in that pain? No, of course not. I can honestly say that when she passed away, it was, it was a kind of a relief for all of us to know that she was no longer suffering. It was so hard to, to, to go and visit her and to see the, the suffering that she was in. And, so, and again, there we, we can think of, you know, we can, we can look at this in a, in a worldly sense. We, I, I, you know, there were times, well, yes, I did think, you know, I thought, my, why does she have to suffer like that? She lived all of her life, a godly life. She sacrificed so much for us as kids. You know, she, she was our example. She, sorry. She, she's the one that taught me about Jesus. My dad was often away working, but my mom, my mom told us about Jesus. She would spend her day, when she did her housework and stuff, she was always singing hymns. And you think, she lived, you know, to me, she lived such a godly life. And I thought, why would God make her suffer like this at the end? It just didn't seem fair. And I think, you know, many of us here, I think, have situations like that that we, we can consider, you know. And, but we have, when we, we look at it in terms of eternity, we look at it in terms of having a God who loves us. That we, can, we should never, ever forget that, that, that God loves us. And that some of the things that we go through are because he loves us. Some of them are just a natural consequence of living in a fallen world. The world sees death as a punishment. The world sees illness as a punishment. God doesn't see it that way. The world sees this life as being all that there is. And so that we have to, we have to make this life as pleasant and as enjoyable as possible because this is all that we have. 
this is the way the world looks at life. That um, having a good life and enjoyable time while we're here on this earth, this is, for most people, the, the main focus of their existence. We've got to have as many good times as possible here because that's all there is. You know, and you, you can read obituaries, you know, where it says, you know, such and such, you know, when they passed away, they lived life to the fullest. Okay? The Christian needs to see, and this, I'm going to read you a quote here. As Christians, we would see, we need to see life as a limited, finite existence, which is but the prelude to eternity. It's a limited, finite existence. It's only a prelude to eternity. It's only an introduction. This is not the end of the story. This is not as good as it gets. And I'll read a little more. This, this, these quotes are from a book called The Christian Mind by Harry Blemeyers. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He wrote that back in 1963. It was a critique of the church. People thinking too much like the world and not enough like a Christian. And so speaking again of that eternal perspective, he says, just as the eternal perspective transforms the character of anything which is sad, painful, or disastrous, so too the eternal perspective transforms the character of earthly success, prosperity, and pleasure. For the Christian mind... Earthly well-being is not the ultimate good, as pain and death are not the worst evil. Eternal well-being is the final aim and end of things here. So, eternal well-being is the final end and aim of things here. It's not about what we achieve in this life. It's not about, as someone titled their book, Living the Best Life Now. It's not about that. It's about living the best life in eternity. And it's whatever it takes to get to that best life in eternity. That's what's important. Psalm 30 says, For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So how do we make sense of what we are going through? We talked about the eternal perspective, about thinking like a Christian instead of thinking like the world. So when we are going through something, it is very difficult and sometimes impossible for us to look past the, pro- the present moment. You know, people will say, well, you know, count your blessings, or maybe they'll say, you know, well, look, other, other people have it worse than you do. But, you know, when I've been in difficulties, those things have not really worked for me. Maybe I'm different. I don't know. I don't know. how. To think about it. How do you feel when, if you're in a very difficult situation and someone says, well, you know, you should count your blessings. Well, the thing is, the thing, whatever I'm going through right now, it hurts. And it's attracting all my attention. And to, and to uh, say, well, count your blessings, yeah, 
God does many, many good things for us. And, and perhaps we need to understand that the difficulty that we're going through now is one of his blessings. So that doesn't make it any more enjoyable, but if we see that there is a purpose behind it, if we see that there's a reason, that will help us to get through it. And one of the reasons that this happens, sometimes God takes away our happiness so that we can discover joy. That might sound like it's uh, sort of a contradiction there, but there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness are those moments where things are going really well and we're really enjoying a pleasurable time, something that is pleasurable for us. And joy is something different. I used to think that that joy was something like happiness. But I don't know. I don't think so. For me, what I've been able to understand, joy is knowing that no matter what I'm going through at this moment, no matter what hardship, whatever pain I'm in, that God is still there, that God is still there. In a way, I think of it a little bit like in your computer. You know, you have Windows, you have an operating system. And that operating system is always there. And that operating system is not always visible. You're working in a program, you're working, you know, uh, or you're playing a game or whatever you're doing. You don't, you're not, you don't really see windows. You're seeing what's happening right there. And our lives, I think, are kind of like that. God is there. He's like the operating system. He is always there. And whatever's happening in our lives, that's like, that's like the program that we're running right now. And that program can't run without windows, without the operating system. So what happens when that program crashes? So he shatters our dreams that we would develop a strong desire for him and would be drawn more closely to him. He shatters our dreams. He takes away our happiness so that we might discover him, that we might discover real joy. Our natural tendency is to avoid pain at all costs. Think about how many medications are out there to relieve pain. Man does not want to endure pain. Some people think that because there are medications out there that we should not endure any kind of pain, that there should be a pill that's going to fix everything. But you know what? We don't want pain to go away because pain warns us of what's going on. Pain warns us in our life of what's happening. We step on a nail or we, or we hit our, our, our finger with a hammer or whatever. The pain tells us that something is wrong. We don't want to be without the pain. We don't enjoy it, but it does serve a very important purpose. And so God often takes away our enjoyment, our fun, our happiness, so that we would discover something better, something deeper, something greater. Scripture tells us that we should endure patiently, that we should let have that it should have its perfect 
work in us. And that if we do endure patiently, that that patience is not going to be disappointed. It's not going to be hope. Like we saw in the scripture before, it says, hope maketh not ashamed. We are not going to be embarrassed because we trusted God. We are not going to be embarrassed if we go through these things. God is going to work something out in us. He, he is going to change us. We are never going to be the same. Friedrich Nietzsche, who is not very well spoken of in Christian circles because he was one of the first people to say that God is dead, but he also understood human nature. And one of his more famous quotes, he says, this is a, a translation of it, he said, he who has a why to live for, a reason, a why to live for, can bear almost any how, can bear almost anything that he needs to bear to get to that why. We don't always know why we go through what we go through. Job asked God why, and God didn't really answer him. God threw a bunch of questions at him and said, were you there when I created the world, and so on. It goes on for a couple of chapters. God never answered him. In my own life, I've had some things too. One of the things that, that I, I really struggled with was when our one son, who was, who was, who was converted, who was, who was a member of our church, decided that he was going to fellowship somewhere else. And it was very hard for me because... I felt a really strong rejection there. It was all the things that I had sort of tried to instill in him, all the, the, the values and, and so on, the things. And a church that he was, in a way, rejecting the fellowship that I love. And it's, it's, it's not easy to accept that. And I knew it was coming. He, was, he wanted to marry someone of another of another denomination, and so I knew it was coming. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I begged God, and I wept, and I pleaded with him. And, you know, God could have done something. He could have, but he didn't. He chose not to. And there was, you know, I was just, I was, I was confused. I said, thinking, you know, I prayed about this, God, you know this was, this, this was a good thing to pray for. Why didn't you answer my prayer? Why didn't you do this? Why did you just let it happen? You could have done something. Mary and Martha, when they talked to Jesus, they sent to him, Lazarus is sick. And he came, and Lazarus had died. He'd been dead four days already. They had no hope that he would ever live again. And... They said, where were you? You should have come. You could have saved him. Jesus said, this happened so you could see the glory of God. And as difficult as that was for me, having kind of come through it, and I tried, I really tried to understand what happened here. And I, like, I had a dream, okay? I had a dream, not, not a sleeping dream, but my, I had a dream, a hope that all my kids 
would become members of the ACC. That, that, that one day um, the congregation could sing for us that hymn, you know, my house and I are ready now. And when I look back at this, I see that there was pride in my life. This was, this was actually fueled by pride. And I didn't realize that at the time. I thought this was a very worthy thing. I thought this was a wonderful thing to happen. And it would have been, I would have really, I would have enjoyed that. But ultimately, it's not about me. God is not there to serve me. I am here to serve him. And, you know, my, my enjoyment or my pleasure cannot come ahead of God's glory. And that was something that I had to learn. But oftentimes, I'm a person who likes to read. And so many times when I've run into some kind of a difficulty like that, try to understand God puts a book in my path. I don't go to the Christian bookstores and so on and, and look for some specific thing. I go, I go to Value Village, I go to the thrift store, and I browse the, all the, the Christian books there. I don't really want to pay full price. So, and as, as I went, the one day, I found this book. It's called Shattered Dreams. It's by Larry Crabb. And I thought, wow, that sounds like me. And you know, as I, as I read through the book, he laid out, lays out some of these principles that we're talking about. He focuses basically on the book of Ruth and uses, he builds on that throughout the book. And it really helped me to understand why God didn't do anything. And that's, that statement comes from, from, from the book there. He says God could have done something, but he didn't. He chose not to. He took away my happiness so that I might discover joy, that I might discover him. And, you know, he says when you, when you, you brush away, the, you know, sweep away, clean up the, the rubble of your shattered dreams, of your, your life, the things that have crumbled, the things that you had hoped would, would not crumble, the things that you were kind of hanging on to and hoping for better things. He says, when you, when you sweep away all that rubble, he says, you're going to see God. And for me, that was a real, an eye-opener, but it was also a real blessing. It helped me to understand why God allowed this to happen in my life. God was not wrong, obviously not. I was unhappy with it, but I've learned some things from since then. And I'm hoping that, that these things will, will help you in, in your struggle. I, I'm not saying this is gonna be the solution. We all have very individual problems and we're all individual people. We have different ways of responding. But I'm hoping that in some way this can be helpful for us. And you know, one thing I found, it's good to be in a situation where you have no control, where something falls apart 
and you cannot put it back together. And we have to rely completely on God to put it back together. Okay. I prayed for spiritual growth. I've been pray- I'd been praying for it for quite a while. Those of you that were here for Brother Bob Vargas' um, forum on, on spiritual growth, one of the factors that he, that he talked about, he says one of the things that contributes to spiritual growth is resistance. And this is, I am fully in agreement with that. Because we don't grow when life is easy. We don't grow when everything's going just swell. You know, everything's falling into place, everything is just lining up beautifully, life is good. We don't grow. We grow when things fall apart. We grow when we're in a situation that we have no control. Now, we cannot put it back together. Now, we have to rely on God. That's when we start to grow. So, spiritual growth has a cost. But you know what? It's worth it. It's worth every, every bit that it costs you. And it helps us to understand, too, that God can bring good out of any situation. We have to be looking for it. We have to be prepared for it. So, this brings up some, some different questions here. And I'm not going to answer these. These are questions you need to ask yourself. Am I looking for spiritual growth? Do I want to grow spiritually? Am I prepared to pay whatever it costs to grow spiritually? Is God's glory more important than my physical comfort? And if it is, then I have, I have no right to be satisfied. We don't have any right anyway to be satisfied with what God has done, or be dissatisfied with what God has done in our life, or maybe what he will do in our life. And you know, God, God is, is really kind to us in that when we are a new and young believer, he doesn't put the hard things to us. He gives us the smaller things so that, as we, so that we can grow and that we can build up our strength. Often, the big conflicts will come later in life. The big trials, the big tribulations, the losses, and so on. They come when we have gained some strength as a Christian. So, can I say with all my heart what this hymn says? My Jesus, as thou wilt. Are you ready to let go? It took me a long time to get to that, to really be able to let go and say, Lord, whatever you want, let it happen. But you know, I found from that it's very liberating because now I am no longer trying to control things. You know, it's hard to go through life when you're trying to control things, when you haven't let go and let God have his perfect will in your life and let him lead you wherever it is that he's going to take us. But do we trust his love? Do we believe that God loves us? Are we ready to go where he'll take us? He knows what we need. He knows what we can handle. 
I really wish that we could have the Lamp family here today to sing the, the song they sang last night. We talked about shattered, about being broken, and about learning to smile again. It was, I was so moved by that song. But for us here this morning, I want to like to suggest that we sing this together and then, I don't know, where are we time-wise? Uh, we've got a few more minutes. Maybe we can entertain a question or two. Or So, Betty. I don't know if everybody can see that. I think most of us would probably know it already. We have a light. Last one, too. Okay. Uh, do we have we have any questions or a comment? I find it's very helpful okay. to, to recognize wait, wait. things as a root of all this that's come all these wait, wait, trials wait. in life, all the all the things in life that are uncomfortable, death itself, it's yeah. all because of Satan and his work. And that really helps me to know that's where it comes from. So then I can turn to God and know there's always a victory through him. That's right. That's right. We live in a fallen world. I think that um, when we go through these trials and tribulations, a natural reaction also is we compare. You know, we look at so-and-so and we look at everybody else and we compare you know, how come things are going so good for them and I'm going through this? So it's a, and it's a further extension of, you know, at challenging God or asking God. And that's not the best way because it just fuels, you know, uh, the time that we don't turn to God. <laughs> it's true. On the tail of that comment, um, I think that we're very good at coming to church and putting on our public faces, okay, in that um, there's a lot of, for lack of a better word, um, superficial discussions going on in the foyers of the church. Um, But I think we need to look for opportunities for deeper sharing, and then you find out that that person who you may be comparing yourself to... um, may be going through a bigger trial than you were aware of because you didn't have the opportunity to have that kind of a deeper level discussion. There's a a saying out there, um, sometimes when you look at other people's troubles, you want your own back, you know? Mm -hmm. True, true. On the heels of my wife's comment, I will share one thing. That my dad and I worked together for quite a few years, and we run into trouble all the time. And my dad was fond of saying, you know, we'll get a real big problem. This one will look real small soon. <laughs> Good. So, anyone else? Yeah. <coughs> 
Just a little note of encouragement. Um, um, recently, I went through a great trial, a lot of pain involved. But in the pain, I learned how I was taught how to let it go. And now I can praise him because he gives you the strength to say, it's okay. You'll be okay. Amen. Amen to that. Anyone else? I'm reminded of uh, some of the times that I've gone through where I felt great struggle. Um, And I reminded myself in those times that God wants me to draw close to him, and there's a reason why I'm going through it, even if I don't understand it at the time. And I found at those times where I felt the most struggle, when it was the hardest time to pray, that that was the time that I needed to do so. And then I needed to find comfort in his word. Um, And when I did find my strength in him, it seemed to be relieved. And it's just that reminder that we can't focus on ourselves. We need to focus on him, on his word, and he's the one that pulls us through all the time. Yes, for sure. And that's, that's, that's why he takes away our happiness, that we go to him. Um, I think in those times, it really makes us have to decide, do we really believe that all things work together for good? It's not for my good. It's for his good. And, um, you know, have to, do I believe God? Yeah. Do, do I believe that he loves me? This is kind of going, going along with what Betty said. Some of you know that Allison and I lost a child about a year and a half ago, and one thing that's still sometimes a struggle is that it changes you. Going through a hard time changes you. And we typically are resistant to change. I know I am. Like, I like the way I used to be. I want to, I want to be the way I used to be, young and fun and everything else, but it changes you, and that's God's plan for all of us, right, to change us to make, it, make us more like him. And sometimes we're, resist, we're resistant to that. And these struggles are there to change us, whether we like it or not. Yes, we, we are definitely changed. My wife and I, we, I think maybe it's like some of you, experience with our rebellious child. We have many dark nights looking for one of our child. And it was very difficult. And we asked each other what we did wrong. And we learn when God called the last one of them to repent, somebody give us an advice, as you know. God is wise. He, you have all your children converted right away. 
Maybe you will not be able to help nobody else, even advice how to help a rebellious child. Sometimes we don't understand. Uh, we need to walk to all the way. And somewhere, you find out that God is under control. Now we're thankful that we have four children and they are converted. But many times with that, his, it's not going to come. It's not going to happen. But God was faithful. You know, I want to encourage parents that think that maybe not happen. Anyone else? Um, I recently read a passage in the Bible where um, Jesus was telling his disciples that this life and all the trials therein are birth pains of what's to come. And it just kind of reminded, this um, form reminded me of that, that this life is so imperfect because the life afterwards has to be and so everything that happens to us is for a reason, and that's probably it. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you very much for your participation. I hope that it was helpful in some way, and I could tell by the comments, I, I knew that this was going to be very something that's going to touch a lot of us very deeply. And just to remember that God loves us and that there is a way through these things and this is not the end of the story.